Welcome to Life and Dev. This is an Amaze special. We're at the Amaze Fest 2018, which runs in Berlin at Urban Spree. And I feel super lucky today because I got Sega Yi for a podcast today. She did a talk yesterday. She did a workshop today. I'd love for you to tell us about your weird little space in the internet and how you found it. <laughs> uh, my weird little space on the internet. Um, so my talk was about... Uh, I don't know if you want me to just describe it quickly. It's talk uh, about vaporwave. Yeah, Let us so know. the talk was called uh, "Soft Boiled Wonderland and the End of the World: Vaporwave and Video Games." Um, and it was sort of drawing. Uh, it was about vaporwave first of all, which is a, a micro genre of music that kind of became a meme, and then I describe it as an art movement because I think that's what it is, and I feel like more people should know. It that it is one and call it as such. Yeah. And that's kind of what the talk was about. And I try to link that to um, other movements like the cyber cyberpunk, for example, and compare and contrast that. And also um, how that relates to video games, especially the types of video games that you see at a maze. And uh, um, sort of similarities and differences and comparisons between how Vaporwave as a music meme um, gets produced and how it gets distributed and how you can see those similarities or make those connections with um, art games or alt games or whatever you want to call them. Uh, And sort of the conclusion that I came to at the end of the talk was uh, like debating about what video games are and what direction they should go to and what we should even call them. Just like people do with Vaporwave is super important. Uh, But it's also important to not take it too seriously and have some fun with it. Uh, and so that's, I think, w- what I was trying to do with the talk. Uh, the talk, I mean, you were there. You noticed that it like went to a bunch of different places. So It went so many places. And, <laughs> in, and it's really fun to look at. Like Vaporwave is something I've heard about. I think a lot of people are the same. I have kind of know what this is in a, mm-hmm. in a very uh, on, a, on a fringe kind of way. But seeing what you classify as Vaporwave and the different, different uh, threads that it takes was super interesting. And also some of the visuals, which you're just kind of like, yeah, wow. Okay, it's like uh, 80s sunset with uh, Roman iconography. Yeah. Uh, like it really kind of, uh, it has a certain look for sure. Um, and you said you kind of came through it through music. So is this something that you were involved in as well? Is uh, I'm actually not a music person. I don't know that much about music. So I think people are always surprised when it's like, I know so much about Vaporwave, but literally about nothing else about music. <laughs> uh, and I don't even know if Vaporwave is really, it's musical, but it's also so many other things. Yeah. Uh, so how did I come across it? Um, it was in, I think around 2013, which is, you know, three years after... Um, Echo Jams Volume 1 Chuck Person's Echo Jams Volume 1 came out and uh, a couple years after um, Macintosh Plus's Floral Shop which is, which is the really popular uh, you've probably seen it before the pink album cover with the Greek head and I think that's the one that sort of kicked off the Greek statue look <laughs> it um, just takes one <laughs> yeah exactly uh, and, and it kind of took off and became a meme from there and I mean, it's like a lot of memes. Half the time, you can't remember the first time you stumbled across it, yeah. and or you m- most likely by the time you realize what it is, by the time that you realize it's a meme or that it's a something, 
you realize, oh, I've seen this multiple times before and I never put it all together. And I think that's similar for Vaporwave. And I didn't have a name for it, I think, is exactly, sometimes yeah. the other thing as well. Yeah. But this looks like it really forms your whole aesthetic as well when you're making games entirely. Like, So do you identify now as like a Vaporwave artist game maker or are you just kind of like, that's a style that I use to to speak in my games? Um. I feel like I haven't... I'm so caught up in making this one game, Welcome to New Lex Plaza, that is explicitly a Vaporwave game or referencing that early Vaporwave iconography. So I don't think I'm a Vaporwave game maker per se, but I think the stuff that I talked about, uh, about why I'm fascinated or how I'm like drawing connections between the creative process of working in unity in a very like non-technical way and just kind of scraping bits and pieces like 3d models, just plundering uh, from any website that I can find and piecing it all together in a very collage like way, I think is, and then it'll probably end up, you know, I'll probably end up giving it away for free on itch.io as it's as a little bit punk. Should. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the one thing that, that is not very, very vaporwave is that it will be under my own name. Um, if I was truly vaporwave, I would be just like an, an um, anonymous or a, a bunch of anonymous pseudonyms and they would all have random characters <laughs> and be unable names. to look at. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, as, as I said, probably people who think or self-identify as vaporwave musicians like a lot of them have really moved on from where it originally started and uh i haven't been keeping up on you know what people are saying what hong kong express is writing on their blog or you know people on the vaporwave subreddit i don't know where the center of action is right now at this this, at this moment because i'm just trying to get my game done (laughs) but i feel like my role if you could call it that is just to like remember that 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 early vapor early vaporwave was a thing and that it looked like this and sounded like this and this is what people thought of it. I'm not sure where it is now, but I'm sure it's still out there. Yeah, it sounds like you almost want to like preserve a part of it as well because you were talking about how some games disappear and there's like one YouTube run through of one particular game and if that's gone, it's gone. Yeah, and the one in particular that I talked about in the talk, uh, MallQuest. Um, yeah. So actually I had a few people uh, find find me after I gave the talk or they couldn't make the talk so they were like can you do me a quick one run through of what you talked about because I'm really fascinated by this and no one else is talking about it in a, yeah. like a critical way and uh, so I I told them about Mall Quest and how it was uh, they called it the creator sort of said like this is the world's first vaporwave game and you're in a shopping mall and there's pink and teal checkerboard floor and there's like all these earthbound sprites like everywhere for some reason uh and the itch.io link uh the creator i guess took it down because when you go to the itch.io link uh there's nothing there anymore you just get an error and yeah so there's like just this let's play uh there and i think it's interesting how that that status of like this is the first vaporwave game ever made and it's like is that true well no one's challenged that person yet like Mm -hmm. i haven't heard anyone say actually this was the first vaporwave game if anything this was the first person to say that this was the first vaporwave game ever made which i think is still significant (laughs) yeah that it kind of is funny to classify it and decide that that's that's where it started Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) to classify it's it's almost like yeah you have a gallery space and you put your own work in there yeah (laughs) and it's it's kind of like you know when you someone someone was the first person to put a toilet on the wall of a gallery and say it's art now it's art because i say it's art and i think vaporwave is is very similar it's vaporwave (laughs) if i say it's vaporwave and it's the first vaporwave game if i say it is 
and there's you know no one that's going to question that (laughs) (laughs) not yet not yet (laughs) but we're waiting how does it inform uh your work on your game how does it inform the other stuff that you do in your life as well so you you have a bunch of different branches of your work you only really talked about game development because we're Mm. amazed but what else are you doing that is also informed by your design work I mean, I run a, um, a video game arts nonprofit in Toronto called the Hand Eye Society. So that's a really obvious thing of, but I'm not doing game design. I feel like game design is, is so, it's pretty dissimilar from everything else that I do. So I don't necessarily think it influences each other. Uh, even when I'm doing like community organizing, I'm using a different part of my brain than I am when I'm in Unity. Um, I, I, did, I just did a Unity workshop and so there were some there were actually some programmers there and, and I was like, well, if you already know how to do all this stuff, then why, why are you, what, what can you learn from me? And they were like, oh, it's just interesting to hear all this stuff from an artist's perspective because I'm a programmer and I, it's, inter- it's just interesting to see how you go about doing it. And I was like, oh, interesting. Um, but yeah, my background's in 2D animation and actually I feel there is one connection with doing game design and doing animation is that they're both really tedious. It's like a, <laughs> so tedious, a lot of repetition, a lot of, I mean, with coding C sharp and that kind of thing, you get a lot of, you have to do a lot of rote memorization. I continuously have to look up lines of code that I, I know that I it put in, like I've typed that a thousand times and I still don't remember how to do it by, uh, by heart. And 2d animation is, you know, you've got 24 frames per second and 12, if you're lucky, and you just, <laughs> that's a lot of individual drawings to, to make. And I was trained classically, so doing it the old school Disney way of flipping the paper between your fingers. Oh, God, uh, really? So you had to do that for two years. And then, the, and then after two years, they let you start doing things digitally. But they're like, you need to learn the <laughs> fundamentals of flipping the paper. and They let you. I like that. Yeah, they, <laughs> they're like, all right, we'll let you touch a computer. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, so, so in that sense, I do kind of go into like a similar zone of like, just put on some music and go into this timeless void of like where I'm just doing work. And then, um, yeah, you cannot be too aware of time passing (laughs) Mm -hmm. when you're doing these things or you'll just get down (laughs) on yourself for like how long it's taking. Yeah. For really small markers as well, like 24 frames. That's yeah. It takes a long time just to do you know uh like a like a minute of like animation and anything lots of lots of drawing <laughs> yeah. so so um i think what someone was saying after the workshop i talked to a couple of people who were in there and they liked that it was kind of freeing that you were like i don't really worry about hierarchies and how to manage my stuff it's just kind of in there and i put it all in there and then i figure out what i'm going to do with it mm-hmm. and then i let it be um, and some people said how freeing that was. So I think <laughs> Maybe I should lean more on that in future workshops because this is the first time I've done it. So I don't know what people are getting out of it, but that's good to know that people like that as- the aspect of me not knowing what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was that. I think it was something about the absurdity of um, the way that you put things in, uh, like, and the, the things that you played with. Mm. Um, and afterwards, someone came. Look, I made an art, <laughs> and oh. I think there's something really nice that's in nice. that as well. Yeah. Yeah, I saw someone else. Uh, the someone else in the Robert Yang workshop, the lighting workshop. Uh, they were showing their friend the thing that they had made in my workshop, hey, and I was so like, cool. "Oh, it's like a little." They made a little gallery, and they played with the colors, and that was like really nice to see. Yeah, I think you got some really diverse little things come out of your workshop, even if you 
didn't get to see too many of them. Mm-hmm. It sounds like people really, yeah, people really took it in different directions, which I think is maybe the benefit of something like the workshop that you did. Yeah, yeah, it was sort of meant to um, to be a little bit modular in that sense, so people would like the flower blooming. You could easily substitute that for any other kind of sprite that you were drawing that you wanted. Uh, it's actually a really good exercise uh, or a good workshop format to do with kids because you can take a picture of the kid or the uh, kid can draw a drawing and you can just stick it in there and they'd be like, whoa, it's in a video game. Like something I made like with a piece of paper is now in a video game. Yeah. So that's always nice. That's super exciting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so after the Vaporwave, can you see an after? After your Vaporwave game, can you see where you're going to go next? Or are you just like, I've just got to get this done? Uh, right now, I'm, I've just got to get this done. Like, it's it's been a few years since I started working on it. Because yeah. I've been working on it on and off. Like, yeah. I've actually had to... Like, sometimes two months would go by, and I'm like, I haven't really touched the game. And then I, I had to set aside Wednesdays. I was, I was, like, I went to a sort of a single-session therapy session just to check it out. And I was like, I think I'm having a, a work-life balance issue. I, I'm not getting this project done. And they were like set aside a specific day just to work on that thing. Like, don't do anything else uh, until you get further in that project. And so Wednesdays are my game-making days, and that's actually helped a lot. Um, I should increase it to, like, maybe two days a week and then speed it up a little bit. Because I, I do get pretty far when I sit down to work on it. Uh, but I have a ton of other game projects that I'm I'm really dying to get back to. And a lot of them, like, I started, and they're kind of half-finished, and they're really close to being done like they're they're not ambitious projects at all the one new lex plaza is like probably the it's the most ambitious thing that uh, i've embarked on game wise um but the nice thing about that is i put everything i ever wanted to learn about unity into that one game which i do not (laughs) recommend (laughs) if you're just making starting out to make games don't put all your eggs in one basket and i'm making all the rookie mistakes that i've been to gdc talks where people talk about like start small make a small thing and like I have made a few smaller projects, but uh, yeah, this one I kind of went all in. And uh, But I feel like after this, I'll know how to do so many different things that um, I'll be able to crank out a few smaller projects. So I, what I would really like to do is um, like a tiny game anthology. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, my working title right now is Please Tell the Man at the Top of the World to Stop Screaming. And that would be the name of one of the games. And then there would... Um, so I'm, I'm working the other, another project that I'm working on that I think is fun is, uh, just a little twine game, almost like a Mad Libs kind of a thing where you, you pick different adjectives, but you're, you basically accidentally become a wine taster. <laughs> like you're, uh, you become a, you were sent something in the mail and you're, you're, it was like a case of mistaken identity and now you have to like judge these fancy wines. Um, and so <laughs> it's like, yes, it's, uh, it's, uh, burnt orange with a long dark finish like you're just making up things but you can change all the adjectives and everyone always like everyone's like oh yes mm," like very they're like (laughs) this person knows what they're doing and really you're just making up all of the words you're like an expert accidental sommelier exactly that's perfect yeah and i thought that was a really good format for wine for twine and it's well twine wine wine. yeah yeah exactly yeah and the fact that i went really deep into the research of uh wine descriptors Mm -hmm. and so it's more about 
it's kind of a satire of how kind of silly the you know wine tasting is. Like they have all these descriptors for things, but do they really? Can they really tell the difference? But uh, but the language itself is actually like really beautiful and evocative, and so it's kind of a, a making poking fun of at it a little bit. But the format of twine is such that like you're reading all the descriptors and really appreciating the language around it. So it's like kind of forming this this poetry. Um, and the, the adjectives get more and more flourishing and elaborate as you go on <laughs> until the, the descriptions are just wildly <laughs> hyperbolic in their descriptions of how uh, wonderful the wine is tasting. <laughs> yeah, twine is really nice that you can kind of pick it up and make something really quite easily, which is yeah wonderful. We're also um, in the Hyper Talks, it was mentioned, all of these smaller format uh, game uh, engines or uh, um, plugins or apps that mm-hmm. really help uh, make smaller things. Yeah, I haven't heard of Flatpak before. Um, oh, that's I exciting because yeah. we do a lot of uh, game design programming for kids yeah. back in uh, Toronto with the Hand-Eye Society. So I'm, I'm always looking at it for um, things that are even simpler, simpler than uh, Scratch mm-hmm. even, but maybe a little more visual than twine because yeah some some kids really love twine they get really into it but then if you're not if you're not a huge fan of writing or language or whatever then maybe that's not so much your thing so bitsy might or a flat pack might be a a better alternative yeah bitsy looked really interesting for that too and i think also like having the impact upon visuals quite easily is something which is kind of exciting as a kid as well yeah like you said you know you have this flower and it suddenly blooms like that's super exciting as a kid to right yeah yeah, um, and to see something move and come to life from a drawing, since not everyone can sit there and classically animate like you were taught. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> so this uh, 2D animation background, this is um, you studied this when you came out of school, and then did you work as an animator for a while as well, or like how have you ended up where you are? Uh, that's a really good question, and I've actually given a talk about this at GDC 2016, I believe, because um, it was a really obvious transition. So I was doing animation. I graduated uh, from Sheridan College, which is in Oakville, Ontario. And I came out of it and didn't really have a job prospect. Uh, when you're in animation school, everyone wants to go to Disney and Pixar. And if you can't get into that, then maybe like a smaller studio or commercials, because uh, commercials pay uh, better, probably. Um, and so I wasn't doing anything immediately off the bat. And uh, the Hand-Eye Society... Uh, I was Googling, like, Toronto video games. I like video games. Is there anyone in Toronto that likes video games? I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) And uh, they were running a six-week workshop, a game-making workshop for women who had never made a game before. So it was sort of a... a, a, That was in 2011 when the conversations about, like, oh, why aren't there more women in video games were, like, just really starting to pick up steam. Yep. And uh, so I did that along with... um, uh, five other women. One of them was actually Zoe Quinn, who you may, might have heard of. So she was also in that program and like made her first game there. Uh, and all the other women, uh, Cecily Carver and uh, Rebecca Cohen Palacios, also like went on to do um, really amazing things in the game sphere. So it was a, a pretty influential program. It only ran six weeks, and then I they asked me to coordinate the second one, and that's how I kind of started getting more involved on the. Um, uh, organizing and programming side of things, uh, but I also kept making games. And even when I started doing, uh, I was doing freelance animation at the same time as I was making games, just because I had to pay the bills. I was not making money making games until later, but uh, I, I did pick up a few like freelance animation contracts. Um, so I would do animations for uh, 
uh, there was an Adult Swim show that I did, and another that like aired on the Disney Channel. So they were just like um, uh, a range of things. And uh, but nowadays I'm because I got funding to make the game that I'm working on now. It's kind of like oh, I could actually make money doing weird art games instead of commercial animation. So that's kind of where I am now. Yeah, that makes a big difference. Um, being able to kind of set aside time just to work on one particular project and having someone support you on that. That's pretty great. Yeah, that's a... I feel like it's a really Canadian thing. Like, we, our government is pretty generous with the arts funding on um, municipal, provincial, and federal levels. Um, I don't know how it is in, in Berlin. Are you from Berlin? I'm not, okay. but I've lived here for a while. Okay. But one thing that is interesting with uh, games, or maybe not that interesting, I don't know, with funding, is that um, games often get funded either under film or under art, like kind of where it doesn't seem to exist as a thing in itself here yet, okay. or in other countries. I think right. also in Denmark, it's under the film. Okay, so um, you, if you if you're going for the arts funding, do you have to call it like interactive digital installation or something like that, or can you get away with saying it's a video game? No video games. I think in the last couple of years, you can say it's a video game, mm-hmm. and you'll get funding from the media board, okay. or you could get funding from the media board. Not you will, right? Um, uh, but in uh, in Denmark, for instance, it's definitely it's as, like comes under the film oh interesting yeah. so is it as it kind of made its own thing then in canada yeah the the arts councils they're called the arts councils um over in canada um they actually did a pretty good job of reaching out to us like we were just kind of sitting there going oh i guess i don't know if anyone's interested in in this and then they actually would contact me or, or someone who was running one of the other video game arts orga- organizations and say, like, why aren't we getting more video game applications? And, you're and like, we what? were like, do you want more video game applications? Because we can make that happen. Yeah. Uh, it's actually been an interesting uphill battle, though, because... Um, so they so they did the work of reaching out and, and we're pretty good about, like, okay, what do we need from you? Like, what is the terminology that you use? Because sometimes we have jurors... Uh, people on the jury that aren't from a video game background yep. so you know how do we kind of navigate all of that um and yeah just a lot of things like for the film projects they require the screenplay so they require the full screenplay if you're applying for a narrative film so that the jurors can read it and have a sense of what the project actually is but there wasn't any such requirement for video games and so I was like, well, there's something called a design document that mm-hmm. is very, it's a very flexible definition. And all it means is what is your project? Like, I feel like the applicant should have that in the first place if they're applying for money. Yeah. Uh, so that kind of thing, that, that, those were the kind of conversations we were having. But on the, on the game artist side of things, it's really interesting because there still seems to be a really strong desire to keep applying to the more commercial um, uh sources of funding so we have something called the uh, Ontario Media Development Corporation and they do more more industry oriented um, like they don't use the word artist like they'd be more likely to view you as a content creator or something like that Um, but for some reason the indies uh, that we worked with a lot of them still felt more comfortable dealing with the OMDC because you know they'll go to GDC you can be super punk indie whatever and go to GDC and the types of language, the types of terminology that is used in the indie game, the commercial indie game sphere is more familiar to them. Mm -hmm. I think because they spend more time in those kinds of spaces Mm -hmm. Uh, rather than the arts council language, which is 
much more academic, I feel. Um, people seem to have this impression that you need to be able to understand art speak, so be able to speak in very theoretical uh, critical terms of the kind that you would you would understand if you went to art school. And if you didn't go to art school, which a lot of game artists didn't do, uh, then they just they they feel a lot more out of their element. So I, that's like my kind of working theory about why they're so reluctant, even when you tell them, like there's not as many strings attached. Like the arts councils understand that it's art, so they don't expect a return on investment, which is what the commercial funders want. Um, they want a product that is commercially viable so that there will be, uh, it'll make the money back. But the arts councils don't expect that. So I think that's like a huge bonus if you're making art games. Uh, but uh, so, yeah, so that's been really interesting and something I would have never thought w would be a challenge. <laughs> like I mm. thought people would immediately jump. Um, and sometimes the people that you, that you think would be a really good fit for the arts councils won't apply, but then people whose games are more commercially viable will be the ones that apply for the arts council. So they'll be applying with these like kind of arcadey mobile games kind of a thing. And the arts councils are like, this is not the kind of stuff that we fund. Uh, okay. So they also have quite clear definitions of what they want their kind of video games to yes. look or sound or feel like as well. Yeah. They, they say they don't, the Canada council specifically says no commercial film or video game projects. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're very, they're explicit about it. And and the jurors, uh, it's peer-reviewed, so they get artists from various disciplines. Uh, they try to f get everyone within a similar field. So you might have like some film people on the jur jury, but then a video game person, and then a video artist, and that kind of thing. Um, and then everyone talks about you know what what would be a good fit. And yeah, the whole point of the arts council is to fund things that aren't commercially viable. So that's why they say, if you're doing an arcadey mobile kind of a thing go to the OMDC because you, your your game has does have a chance of making money. Yeah. Whereas artists uh, or the people who are making these really weird experimental stuff, they're probably not going to, it's not going to be a bestseller. Yeah. Yeah. It's good that they know that and make, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the, the, the definitions and ideas of what's expected from, and it sounds also like you can be a lot more free on what video game means. And yeah, that's yeah. exciting. Yeah. So right, yeah, right now my job is to try and sort of uh, try and get more people to apply with their with their game projects and try to get people to also challenge themselves on what it is that they're making because mm -hmm. I, I do agree that a lot of students that are coming out of a typical game design school they're not getting the kind of theory that one would get at um, like a an established art university yeah, art a with a capital right? A yes there's yeah. a huge difference and I went to a a uh, like the program I went through for animation was very similar to these game design programs where uh, there was very little theory and it was all about technique. It was all yeah. about the technical classical aspects, training, right? classical training. Mm. Uh, you're going to do it like Disney. Disney was, you know, really the old, the nine old men or whatever they called them. Um, they really didn't like anime there. <laughs> they weren't, and all, of course that's all the students wanted to do. And like most of the professors <laughs> were like, okay, Miyazaki, maybe will allow it but like all the rest of that crap can just go away <laughs> um so there were a lot of opinions but yeah again not a lot of theory or about about why are you what is the thought behind this why does it have to be a motor car like yeah, conceptual training yeah uh yeah. and so i had to sort of teach myself that along with unity 
because <laughs> I, I did not have a, a, a academic background. And and I think like from the workshop today, like that's the kind of thing that I think people saw in the stuff that you were showing was like, oh, this is really exciting. It's like games from a different perspective. And I think you kind of you kind of brought the weird art with you, which was <laughs> super exciting for people in the workshop. And I think also at the talk yesterday. Oh, great. Thank you. But, it's yeah. nice to hear. Uh, yeah, I got a lot of validation from people saying, um, just comment, uh, giving me comments about what they got out of the workshop and the talk. And that, that was all really, you know, that's why you come to Amaze. This is my first Amaze. So come back. Yeah, no, <laughs> absolutely. Amaze is one of my, I went to Amaze Johannesburg last year and that was amazing. And, uh, they're just like, so I, I feel like we need more kind of events like Amaze where people can meet face to face and have these conversations yeah. because I, I guess there's uh, Indiecade uh, and different games are other festivals that also um, kind of have a similar ethos. Uh, but yeah, Amaze is really something special and uh, it's also my first time in Europe. So that's also exciting. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Please come back. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I'm going to stop us now because uh, it's been Half an hour, and I, I think I could talk to you for another half an hour easily, but I, I would like to let you go and enjoy your festival. Um, so, yeah, uh, Life and Dev, this was episode nine. This was Sagan Yi. I'm Elise Taranova. Um, please leave us a note, comment, whatever you like. Happy to hear it. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for joining me, too. It's been an absolute pleasure. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Thank you.